0: Oh, good morning, church. Let's uh, let's get Bibles into people's hands uh, while we're speaking and, and saying good morning to one another. Uh, if you did not bring a Bible with you, put your hand up uh, nice and high into the air and the guys in the back will bring a Bible to you. We'll be in Luke chapter 2, taking a break from 1 Timothy. We'll pick that back up in the new year trying to get ourselves prepared mentally, emotionally, spiritually for the season. Again, Luke chapter 2. We'll do the first part of it this week and a second part next week. We won't quite finish the whole chapter before Christmas, but we'll do what we can. Let's pray and we're going to also, as we pray, we're going to remember, and part of the reason we kept the music a little more subdued this morning was just in honor of the folks in Connecticut and re- realizing that, that they're wrestling with um, somehow finding uh, joy in, in such a tragedy. Uh, so let's pray. Father, uh, we all have, uh, have just been affected deeply by the direction we see our world going. The fears that our kids face and the fears that their kids are going to face, should you tarry, are, are unimaginable to previous generations, Lord. We see that the, the world has taken a direction uh, that no one seems to know how to fix, that uh, the experts don't understand completely. Father, I, I, we just pray for the folks there in Connecticut, that community, uh, much like our community for their broken hearts to be mended in time, Uh, for you to bring your angels, your servants to minister comfort in their time of need, that hearts, that open hearts would be uh, ready for you to enter. And Lord, we do pray that you would bring beauty from the ashes. Father, we pray for our service time this morning, for our time of studying your word, that that you would show us the Christmas story in a way we've never seen it before. Remind us of things that we've just forgotten. We pray this all in the name of of that child who became a man who hung on a cross for me. We pray in his name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, are you ready for the Christmas story? Luke chapter 2. Before we actually get into to chapter 2, just look at chapter 1 briefly. The first few verses of chapter 1 tell us who this person that wrote this letter, or this book, excuse me, this, uh, this narrative uh, is. His name is Luke. He was a doctor. We know that from some other places in Scripture. Some of you were here with us as we went through this entire uh, book together through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, but for those of you that weren't, just letting you know who Luke was. He was a doctor who put together this account for, uh, this, from beginning to, uh, to Jesus' resurrection for a very specific reason. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. He says, "...inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative, uh, a story, an account of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, And ministers of the word delivered them to us. So he says, hey, I I gathered eyewitness accounts that were given to me. And now I'm compiling those things in a a chronological sort of account of the life, the the birth, life, and death and resurrection of Jesus. He said at verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you, now we'll see who you is in a second, An orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus. Who's Theophilus? We don't know who Theophilus is, but evidently Theophilus was the one that Luke was specifically doing this for. Maybe he had, uh, you know, somehow supported Luke in the writing of this. Or or somehow he was looking to know more about the life of Jesus. And so Luke sets, uh, sets about to write this. For this man named Theophilus, whose name, by the way, means lover of God. Lover of God. And for those of us that love God, or are lovers of God, what this, what this whole gospel does for us, look at verse 4, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. See, Theophilus had had some instruction, but he also had had maybe some doubts. Just like many of you. You know, you've heard these things before, but yeah, I'm really not sure. And so here, Luke puts this together and says to Theophilus, I'm putting this, I'm doing this for you so that you can be certain of what you've learned. And I pray this Christmas that you would be certain of what you've learned. The miracles of these things, the the amazing nature of what God did when he stepped out of eternity and into time and broke into human history. At just the right time, God says. So, with that, we go to Luke chapter 2. We pick up reading in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That was all the Roman world, all the, the empire that Caesar Augustus was uh, overseeing, was in charge of. He was the head dog. This census, verse 2, first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. So the Caesar commands this census to be taken for the purposes likely of taxation. And to, to do that, what was required is that you would have to go to your hometown, to where you were born or where your family was from, so to speak. And everybody, so it was going to be a Christmas where, just like our Christmases, everybody's traveling. You'd have had a lot of people on the road traveling back to where they were from, where their, their family was from, to, to accommodate what this Caesar had ordered. So guess who was going to be on the road with everybody else? Joseph and Mary. Look at verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, or the house of bread, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So uh, understand the picture, Uh, this decree is given, this order from the government that everybody's got to travel, what a hassle, what a hassle, especially for Joseph, he's no exception, he had to travel to 80 miles, now for us like 80 miles, that's here to Richmond, you know, it's an hour, uh, no problem, not a big deal, hop in the car, not for them, 80 miles, uh, we don't know how long it took them. Three days at, at minimum, riding on a donkey with a, with his pregnant wife. Now, can you imagine how they must have felt when they heard what was going to be necessary? That you mean we got to go where we got? Oh, couldn't you have been born closer, Joseph? I mean, come on, you, know, you had to be from Bethlehem. You had to be because that's where his he was from the the family of King David, and that's their home place. That's where he was going to have to go back to travel this. 80 miles. Now what's interesting to me is that that God has this ability to move people around and some, you know, sometimes he, he uses different methods and we really get in trouble when we think God always is going to work the same way every time because he just uses different things he, he uses a big fish To deal with Jonah, doesn't he? Spits him out on... Jonah tries to run. God says, okay, fish, swallow him. Spit him up on the shore. Get him back where he's supposed to go. Because we're all worried about missing God's will, right? We're all so worried like we got this little God who somehow is... Well, I can, you know, frustrate his plans. No, you can't. Somehow you'll look back and you go, wow, I can't believe God got me here. There is no way Joseph would have gone to Bethlehem with a wife who was nine months pregnant. There's no way. Now, because sometimes God used a fish, God used persecution to disperse the church in in the book of Acts. Uh, But even with Joseph, God spoke to him in a dream. With Mary, God spoke through angels. So God certainly could have said to Joseph in a dream, Joseph, go to Bethlehem. Because in Micah, the book of Micah, the Old Testament Uh, Minor prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, I'll read it to you. This is what God said. He said, but you, Bethlehem, now take note of that, but you, Bethlehem, he didn't say, but you, Nazareth, he didn't say, but you, Jerusalem, he said, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. So God said that way back in the book of Micah, Old Testament prophet. And now it's time, so God's got to bring it to pass. right? Because God's word will always come true. So God's got to get Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem, 80 miles. So he could have used angels in a dream. Joseph, get your wife. Go to Bethlehem. And Joseph would have... It must, must have been pizza I had last night or something. I, that couldn't have been right. There's no way. And, and some of us are like that. There's, you know, some of us are stubborn, aren't we? And we really despise it when someone else enforces their will upon our lives. Who are you to tell me what to do? I mean, can you imagine how you would have felt if it was you that had to, to be moved by a government edict from one place to another? Would you have complained a bit? Oh, you bet you would have. I would have. I can't believe we've got to take this trip. I've been throwing luggage into the car. Wife pregnant. She's not feeling good. Got to go 80 miles and gas prices these days. The price of hay these days, you know. Can you believe that? Um, my donkey's lame. And, ah. Uh. But God chose to use an obligation, a government obligation, to move them from one place to another. And I wonder how many of you look at life that way. I wonder how many of you, instead of complaining, look for the opportunity. Look for, I wonder what God is doing in this. I wonder why, I know when, I remember when Warren uh, McIvor and his family moved to Arizona and how they labored and struggled with that decision and, and how God used that in, in their lives and then brought them back. And God moves people around in different ways. And here's the real important thing. God works all things together for good. To those that love him and are called, are called according to whose purposes? His purposes. So the question this Christmas, are you called according to his purposes or your own? Whose purposes really matter to you? Yours? Because if, you're, if Joseph's purposes mattered, he'd have been really mad, really upset, really complaining. But what he uh, did or didn't realize was that God had a purpose. God was fulfilling his word. By moving them. And it was vital that they move, And so God made it happen. And God, maybe, maybe that thing that's, that's a hassle, maybe that thing you've just been complaining about, that job move you've had, that maybe you got demoted and you were hoping to be promoted. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's someone new who you'll be working with. Who God needs someone to minister to that person. And you're the closest person, so a little bit of a demotion might help you in a little more ministry. Yeah, maybe. Nonetheless, they, uh, they are moved this 80 miles. Uh, his wife, they're, they're betrothed, they're engaged, which is a little more than our engagement. Uh, their betrothal was uh, treated, if you, if you broke up from a betrothal, it was like being divorced. And if you um, cheated on your, your engaged partner, that was like adultery. So it was considered, for all intents and purposes, marriage, but it hadn't been consummated yet Which makes it all the more interesting because Mary's pregnant. That's going to be hard to explain when they get home to Joseph's home place. So they travel. Mary is with child. And the King James, I said, is great with child. She's swollen. She's, as we would say, about to pop. Well, maybe I would say that, but you wouldn't. I don't know. Uh, Verse 6. Let's move on before I get myself in trouble. So it was... That while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. This is bad timing. <laughs> I mean, at home, they've been nesting. They got the nursery all ready. This is their first child. This is, you know, they know this is the child from God. And they got everything ready. They got pictures, and, you know, on the wall. And they got the thing colored. And they know they're going to have a son. And, but now they're They're traveling. They're on the road, and now she goes, Joseph, I think it's time. Oh no, this is bad timing. You see, it says while they were there, we don't know how long they were there before this happened, but while they were there, she went into labor. Man, I'm sure Joseph is sweating this out. Uh, I'm, I can't imagine having my pregnant wife Somewhere in an unfamiliar place and with unfamiliar people, uh, crowds, and just a lot of insecurity, a lot of uh, unsure opportunities. And man, verse 7 says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So a couple things. You guys know the Christmas story because we've seen it on Christmas cards and we've watched it on TV and whatever else. And, and maybe you have some misunderstandings about the Christmas story. Uh, when we talk about an inn, just circle that word "inn" for just a second. Let's let's look at that. The inn wasn't like you know Motel Six or Hotel Eight or whatever it is, the, the microtel. This was a guest room. They didn't have hotels like that. Uh, like we would imagine. So it was a guest room. So they go back to, to Bethlehem. Um, it's quite possible that they were with family. That Joseph had family there. And they would have, m- many people would have a guest room. Because hospitality was really important to them. Because if you were traveling, uh, it was really an honor to bring a guest into your house and care for them. And you would care for them. And, and their safety was very important to you. And so you would have a guest room ready for someone who was traveling that you could welcome in uh, to your house. And so they had, no doubt, at Joseph's home place, a guest room that was there. But it was probably full, as were everybody's guest rooms at that point. There, were, there was no room there for them. Now, it's possible that they had been for a few days staying in the uh, in the house the normal part of the house with everybody else but when it came time for her to give birth see there's no indication that there was just no room for them at all it's possible I mean imagine going into labor getting ready to give birth with like Uncle Bob and Aunt Ethel all hanging around there in the living room they didn't have huge houses couldn't get away so to get some privacy Joseph and Mary make a decision to move into the garage that's literally the in the guest room would have been the place where people would have stayed. The, the manger where they went would have been in a lower level where when you were traveling, you had your donkey. So we travel, we have our vehicles, we park them in the garage. The manger would have been in the stable where they had the, the animals that, you know, you come in on your donkey, you, you throw the hay down there, and he's got the manger, or the, the trough, the feed trough, and, and that's where he eats, and then you go up into the main part of the house. So most of the houses had a lower level. We would call them, you know, a garage. And so they go down into the garage so they can have some privacy and, uh, and, and so that this son of God can be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes. She, she, had, she hadn't been a mother before. She was a virgin. And, and she witnesses this miracle. Man, childbirth is an absolute miracle and this is even more so The Son of God uh, coming into the world to dwell, to, to pitch his tent with mankind. You know, if you've ever wondered what God is really like, and a lot of people do, we know for sure because we've seen Jesus. And he is exactly what God is like. There's a lot of misunderstandings about God. When I talk to people, the biggest thing I try to do is I want you to know the God you're rejecting. If you're going to reject God, that's up to you. I don't suggest it. I don't think it's wise. But if you're going to reject God, at least reject the right God. Because I think once you know him, I think you won't reject him. I think people reject a a God that they've seen in church or a God that's that's condemning. a, A God that's merciless. And I would reject that God too. But when you see Jesus, when you see the children feeling welcome to come to him. When you see him touch lepers. When you see a woman with an issue of blood come and just want to touch the edge of his garment. And and his gentleness with a woman caught in adultery. And all of these things. That's what God is really like. Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is everything God is in the flesh. Everything. Exactly. Precisely. So while they were there, the days were completed for Luke, a doctor, leaves a lot out. I'm glad he did. That's none of our business. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, a, a stone feed trough. We saw those when we were in Israel. Why? Because there was no room for them in the inner the guest room um, and this is this is ministered to the church for centuries this idea that there was no room no room for jesus to be born there no room and, and this is what we struggle with isn't it i mean despite the fact we read this every year isn't that what we struggle with just making room for the things that really matter because we do we make room for the things that matter don't we in our schedules we, we make room for the things that are important and somehow For some reason, when time is tight or when money is tight, the first thing to go is is spiritual things. Man, things are so busy, we can't go to church. We don't have time. I can't fit that in. There's no room for that in my schedule. There's no room for that in the budget. And to this day, we still wrestle, and we have to wrestle through it. And in and, and our family, we're constantly making schedule changes, making financial changes, so that we can leave room. Because Jesus is a gentleman. He stands at the door. What if Mary had pitched a fit? Said, no, you guys all need to get out of here so I can have my baby. And everybody's outside, you know, cold at night and freezing, and while Mary's having her baby there. She could have pitched a fit, and that's what my mom would have done. My mom's told, you don't cross my mom. She is tough. I, she, they bought it. My mom and dad bought a computer and... Something was wrong with it. My mom was on with the the, uh, customer service with that computer company and just letting them have it. And by the time they were done, they offered my mom a job in customer service. (laughs) They did. She's tough. And she would have have made sure that someone got out so that there was room for her to have her baby. And I wonder if, if they'd have pitched a fit, if they could have made room there in the house and made other people leave. But that's not how Jesus is, is he? He stands at the door and knocks, and he says, if you will open the door and let me in, then I'll come in. I'm not going to force my way in, I'm not going to pry my way in, I'm not going to manipulate my way in. I am who I am, and I'm knocking on your heart. And if you want to let me in, I want to be in, I want to come in. But you have to open the door, and open the door through repentance. That's the way you open that door. And you let him in. You say, Lord, I want you to come into my life. I want to live my life for you now. And you may have to make some room. You may, other things may have to go, right? Some things that you do, some things that you buy, some ways that you spend, some time that you have, those things may have to go. It's worth it. It's worth it in your family to raise your kids with family devotionals. You've got to fight for that stuff. Everything in this world is against you sitting down and opening up your Bible. you got to fight for it. Family, you got to fight for it. Fathers, you got to fight for it. Moms, you got to fight to make room in your life for the things that really matter. Because I'll tell you what, you get to that point where they are in, in Connecticut and you really figure out what matters. It, that, that spilled cereal did not matter at the end of that day. That stupid argument last night did not matter at the end of that day. That coloring on the walls or whatever, it did not matter at the end of that day. And by the way, on that day, there was room for Jesus in a bathroom in a school. So let the ACLU come and get her fired because she prayed with her students when a gunman was raging through their school. Amen? Now, verse 8. There were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And that's often the, that's often the response when people have a a face to face encounter with the glory of God. You know, you, you hear a lot of testimonies written and books written. and Oh, I, I saw an angel and I was just at such peace. If you saw an angel, you'd be on your face on the floor, scared out of your wits, because the glory of God is powerful. And so, so there were in the same country, the Bible says shepherds, these were probably the temple shepherds that kept care of the temple flock, the flock of lambs and sheep that were sacrificed in the temple sacrifice. Uh, And they were living out in the fields and and watching their flocks. and, And shepherds were not well respected. Some of you know that. They were very low on the social totem pole. They were considered thieves and dirty. And they couldn't keep all the rituals. You know who else was in that same country? There were priests in that same country. Do you know how far Jerusalem is from Bethlehem? About six miles. Five, six miles. So there were priests in that country, in that same country. There were religious leaders in that same country. Jerusalem was just down the road six miles but to none of them did God choose to have his his announcement be made to shepherds to low people to humble people to people that no one else really respected God says that's who I want to reveal myself to first that's who I want to make the announcement to first isn't that wonderful maybe they would have been more open than others huh I find that to be true. I find it easier to, to witness to someone who, who knows very little about church and God, that it's easier there than it is to someone who's grown up in church and who has rejected it. Or who has kind of formulated their own ideas. And so if, you know, for folks that you consider yourself lowly or humble or rejected or, or marginalized, you know, God says, I want you to know. I want you to know what I'm doing. They were living out in the fields, watching over their flock by night, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. Them? Yes, them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I'm glad you said that. Now, all of a sudden, I'm not afraid anymore. I'm still afraid. (laughs) But don't be afraid. You're, You're not in trouble. I'm not, you know, people, if you saw God, you died. You know, no man has seen God and lived. So that, you know, seeing God or seeing, this is scary stuff. And he said, and the angel says, no, 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 it's, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings. I bring good news. It's not bad news. It's good news of great joy, which will be to all people. I like that, all people. How many people is all people? all people? It's us, all people, all kinds of people. From all kinds of places and all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of skin colors and all kinds of economic places and all kinds of social places and all around the world. This is good news of great joy. When's the last time you just had great joy? Had a little bit of joy, some joy? Good news of great joy. Well what could possibly bring such great joy? Verse 11 says, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, who is the anointed or the specially chosen king. And who else would you announce to the birth of a lamb other than shepherds? I thought that's so great. You know, who else are you going to tell, hey, a lamb's being born? A real special lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'd want a shepherd to know that, right? Shepherds are used to lambing season. So he tells the shepherds, ah, "Good news of great joy! For there is born to you this day in the city of David a, a what? A savior, a savior, not a psychologist, not a lawyer." a deliverer, a rescuer, just write, those are synonyms for savior, you would have deliverer or rescuer. And let me tell you, never has it been in in recent history more obvious that we need a savior. We, We can't figure this, we can't figure the economy out. We can't figure uh, the social stuff out and and we'll, uh, you know, I understand that, that everybody on Facebook in here has figured out what to do, why this has happened in Connecticut and all that's going wrong and, and we're all experts in it, right? We all want to put our opinions out there. We have no idea. I mean, well, we know sin. It's a simple three-letter solution. The problem is sin and the answer is a Savior. The problem's not that you know, your mom didn't give you enough attention when you were growing up and that may be true, but Kids that don't get a lot of attention can still come out okay. God takes all that baggage. He binds it all up. He tosses it out. He says, let's start over. He says, I'm here here to rescue you. We have all fallen and we can't get up. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what we need, what I needed, I didn't need someone that just could give me more self-help books I had enough of those, When I had, I had Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, I had The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, I had, you know, the, this book on Buddhism, and this book on Hinduism, and I was looking for something, I didn't know what I was looking for, but little did I know that God was looking for me, I said, Steve, I'm here to rescue and i thank God I need rescue, I need, I need someone to rescue me, from myself. That's who we need rescuing from, we need rescuing from ourselves. From the sin in our own lives, a savior, man, someone to be a a mediator between me and God, someone to bridge the gap. And here's going to be the sign, verse 12 says, this will be a sign to you, you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, verse thirteen, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men." So uh, suddenly, there's this whole multitude, this heavenly host, uh, which is an army. A word, the word "hostless" literally means army, uh, praising God, saying, "Glory to God," and that's who always gets the glory. God gets the glory, not glory to Joseph, glory to Mary, glory to God in the highest, in the highest place, and on earth, this is what we want, isn't it folks, peace, now some translations say peace toward men of goodwill, there's a little bit of the the wonderful Greek scholars debate this thing, both of them sound good to me, take your pick, goodwill toward men, we need God's goodwill toward men. And that's what he was bringing in Jesus, was his goodwill toward us. We talked about this uh, at the soup kitchen on Friday, that Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world. He wasn't God's instrument of condemnation. He was God's instrument of salvation, to save. He didn't come to condemn, he came to save. That's God's goodwill toward men. He could have just, look, there was a flood before. He could have said, look, I'm done with you again. It's all over. Uh, We're going to wipe this thing out. It's done. But instead, he sends his son to be a rescuer, to be a deliverer. And on earth, peace. And we haven't seen that yet, have we? We haven't seen on earth peace. Peace begins in your home, by the way. Mother Teresa said that. You want to see peace in the world? How about working on it in your home first? Peace in the world begins with peace in your home, peace in the home begins with peace where in your heart. Where do wars and fights come from? James asks that you, you, you lust and you can 't have, so you murder. you want, you desire, but you can 't get the thing that you 're desiring, and so you trash other people and you 're just a mess on the inside, and it makes you a mess on the outside. So peace in the world begins at home, peace at home begins with peace. In your heart, that's where the wars begin to stop. When you just know who you are, you know what you're about, you don't have to prove anything to anybody, you're a child of God. And I'm about his will, not mine, yours or theirs. His will in our family, in my life. Goodwill toward men, or peace toward men of goodwill. So it was, verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, do you see that? Nope, me neither. Okay, let's go back to sleep. No, that's not what they That's what I would have said. Did you see something? Uh-uh, I'm not telling anybody. They don't, they already think we're nuts. There's no way. Of, yeah, angels came and they were all singing, oh, goodwill toward men. No one's going to believe this. The shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. They weren't skeptics. They believed the message. And they, so they said, "Let's go. You know, let's go and and see this thing that God told us about." And, and I love that. And that's just faith, isn't it? That's just you hear the message. And this, look, you're hearing the message this morning. You can choose whether you believe it or not. No different than that. You know, they, they, they could have definitely written that. Well, that was just it was the Northern Lights. It was a, it was a coincidence. It was. We were dreaming. That's what it was. It was just a, a mutual dream. They could have written that away, written it off, just like you can every time you hear the word of God. You can write it off, or you can write off that miracle you saw. You can figure out a way around that thing. Well, it was just a, it was a coincidence. It was an accident, whatever it was. But they said, man, we believe that. We better go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Well, there it is. They come to Bethlehem. I don't know how many kids would have been born that night. Probably just one. Bethlehem was not a huge place. It's a little town of Bethlehem. Now, can you imagine the look on Mary and Joseph's face when they show up? Like, hey, what are you guys doing here? Like, we don't even know you, you know? I mean, if you showed up in my wife's hospital room, just after she had her baby, we'd be like, "Uh, yes, can we help you? So here these shepherds show up, With Mary and Joseph, and they're like, "Uh, where are you guys from? You know, you're shepherds. And it's like, well, we heard there was a lamb born here. You heard there was a lamb? How did you hear that? And he began to tell the story about, ah, the angels showed up, and they told us, and then they, they sang, and it sounded like this, and we were all scared, and we thought maybe we were dreaming, but then he dreamed the same dream, and we thought it couldn't be a dream, so it must be real, so here we are, just like that. That's exactly how it went, I'm sure. So they found, and said, ah, it's true. What we heard was true. God God said it. We believed it. And now we've seen the proof of it. So when they had seen him, they made, this is a contrast here, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. What was the saying that was told? Hey, the Savior's been born. God's chosen one is finally, we've been waiting for this. It's happened. And they tell all kinds of people. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But, here's the contrast, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. There's two different types of responses. One response was for the shepherds. They went out and they blabbed it all over town. They told everybody. They were evangelists. They couldn't wait to tell everybody what was going on. They were so excited. Much more excited than we typically are. I'm convinced that a person who's truly touched by Jesus in their life uh, cannot keep quiet about it. I was just just started reading "Kisses from Katie." Some of you guys have read that book about that young girl, and, and she was talking about the orphanage where she's got fourteen uh, young girls that she's raising as their mother. She's never had a baby herself, but she's you know this twenty year old girl, and she starts ministering to these young girls. Uh, and and I think it's in Uganda. Is that where it is, Warren? Uganda is that where? I think it yes, Uganda. And um, you can tell what a comprehensive reader I am, right? Um, so anyway, she's got these these. Uh, young girls and, and now I've forgotten why I was oh I remember why I was telling you that story I just forgot why I was telling the story so, so she begins to gather these girls like off the street these are you know girls that were abandoned they're, they're orphans and, and when they would bring in a new girl the ones that had already been rescued would help out caring for the new ones that were brought in I thought what a picture of the church those of us that have been rescued, that get a chance to turn around. Here's Jesus gathering in more. and We get a chance to turn around and help get them cleaned up and help get them loved and get them warmed and get them cared for. Because you know why? Who are we to look down on that person like, well, we got saved, but now we don't want you to get saved. This is our place now. Instead, the attitude of someone who's been rescued is to let other people know, hey, there's a place where you can get rescued. There's a place where you can get help, where you can be made whole. And so I'm truly convinced that those the greatest evangelists are the ones that have truly seen the miracle of God in their own lives. You can't not tell someone that. When you have had that impact in your life, it's just a natural thing. You know, you see a good movie you want to tell 16 people on Facebook? That's a movie. Now imagine a whole new life, a transformation. So they go out and they're telling, they're making it widely known. I love to fish I love to fish for people. I love to strike up conversations wherever I am, at the gym or on the soccer field or at work or wherever. Well, I'm a pastor, so uh, most people I work with are saved, I think. But, you know, be interested in people. Ask them questions. Listen to their answers. Conversations start. Questions are asked. And then you get a chance to share what God has done in your life. And it may be that God has put you in their path for a reason. And you're the one they've been waiting for to tell them the good news. But Mary, she just uh, wondering what is it going to be like to raise the Son of God. I mean, when do I start moving from, from oatmeal to Cheerios for him? I don't want him to choke. You know, I got, remember that? You know, like... When, when do we finally get rid of the sippy cups and all these things when a new, I remember when Jacob came home with us, we just looked at him in the car seat, like, what do we do with this? You know, I don't, I didn't learn this in school. You know, and we're sitting there with, with our firstborn son and we load him into the car at Martha Jefferson and, and there he is. And we drive him home and we get home and we're like, we put him on the table and we just sat, we looked at him. Like, who are you? You know, and what do we do now? No idea what to do, and so and now it's God, it's God in the flesh, right there, the Son of God. Oh man, this is stressful. So she thought about these things. She's wondering what does all this mean? The shepherds return, verse twenty, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told them. We'll pick up in verse twenty-one uh, next time we get together. Um, which is interesting, we have also a baby dedication of our own next week as well. So I think that will be a really uh, a great way to celebrate uh, the, the days before Christmas. Um, so as the praise team is going to come up here, uh, we'll close with a final song as we, uh, as we usually do. I hope God is putting a new song in your heart. There's something new happening in your life that's just not the same old Christmas stuff year after year. Let's pray. Let's pray, and then Phil will close with a song. Father, we, we um, just remember afresh that, that when we were saved, we needed a Savior. And that hasn't changed. Lord, we didn't just have you get us started, and now we can take it from, from there, Lord. We are reminded daily of our sinful tendencies. Reminded that Jesus said, if you are angry at someone in your heart, it's like committing murder. If you look at a woman lustfully, it's like adultery. Adultery. And Father, we just recognize that uh, we have not arrived, that we still need your life, the Holy Spirit, to be living in us, to produce the very thing that we long for, and that's to, to be more like you. Lord, I pray for all the souls here. Um, those that are saved and those that are seeking, and even those that uh, came with a family or a friend and really don't want to be here, didn't want to be here. I pray that that somehow you sneak up on them, right, right here this morning, Lord. You just as they ponder these things in their heart, like Mary did, it's milling this over. What's this church thing about? What's this school? What's happening here? Who are these people? Father, I, I pray that you tell them that they would know that we are the redeemed. We are the bought, the purchased, out of slavery, and set free. For whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. Lord, we are, are expecting and hopeful for a mighty work this Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.